Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Today we're starting a new series uh, that's going to cover the essential truths of the Christian faith. And today we're going to focus on the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to do my best to continue to track with the the Bible challenge, but I may stray just a little bit. Uh, But uh, it's really important that, you know, it would be awful for someone to sit in church 10 years and never really understand the essential truths of of, of our historic faith. So uh, we're going to dig into this a little bit, and uh, some points may seem a little bit cerebral, but you know what? You know, God gave us, you know, a brain or a head to use it for more than just space between our ears, you know. So, so we're going to dig in a little bit. We're going to do some thinking and, and some, some processing. Uh, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 11 and verse 12, and I'm going to pray for you. Father, I thank you for opening eyes today. Father, may we grow stronger and deeper, all because of what you do through the word today. In Jesus' name we pray. We all say, Amen. Amen. Mark 11 and verse 12. Now the next day, this was the uh, Monday of Passion Week, when they had come out of Bethany, which was a town about two miles outside of Jerusalem. It was the final stop uh, on the way, actually, uh, from Jericho to Jerusalem. And and John tells us that Jesus had just spent the entire night basically praying on the Mount of Olives and uh, ministering to his disciples. And and Matthew gives us a a few more details. He adds that uh, it was daybreak, which means it's about 5 a.m. or so in the morning, which was the usual time for the first piece of food or the first uh, uh, meal of the day. And the Bible says he was what? Hungry. You know, experiencing hunger is part of the human experience. But have you ever thought about, backed up for a moment, because, you know, we, we're hungry, then we eat, we thirst, and we drink. And, and because it's so familiar to us, we often have not really given it much thought. But have you noticed that we are designed to only hunger for things that exist? That's important. A baby cries for food without ever taking a class because he knows or she knows that it exists. You know, the first caveman or whoever that, well, I don't know that Adam lived in a cave, so I'm not going to say that. But for you scientists, I'm I'm just going to yield to you today. But for the first man, he looked for water because he intuitively knew that it exists. Human beings were created in a special class because we not only hunger like the animal kingdom for things in this world, we hunger for things beyond this world. That's why around the globe in every culture there is a religion because humanity thirsts and hungers for something outside of itself. But I've never seen a deer make a sacrifice. I've never seen a lion lift up its paws in worship. Human beings are distinct in that God put into us an intuitive understanding 
of life beyond our, our four or five, however many, physical senses. Matthew 4 and verse 4, Jesus said it this way. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, hummingbirds search for nectar. The sheep hunt for grass. Dolphins hunt for fish. Why? Because intuitively, again, without a course, without a class, they just know that these things exist. But human beings, universally, I, I don't care where you were born, universally, we search for God. Why? Only because we instinctively know he exists. We would have to deny our instincts, the voice on the inside, in order for us to say, there's not a God. In fact, if God does not exist, we're the only creatures hardwired to crave or desire something that is not. We're the only creatures under heaven. And if this is true, our scientists need to rewrite our science books because human beings are not the most intelligent animals on the planet, but we're probably the least if we're the only beings that want something that doesn't exist. Mark eleven twelve. He was hungry. The fact that Jesus hungered showed that he was completely human. But in the Gospels, we, we, we see that he was not only man, but he personally claimed or declared that he was also God. So somehow this Jesus was fully man and fully God. John 8 and 58, let, let's look at Jesus' own words. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, which is the most solemn way you could say something. It's verily, verily in the King James ver Version. If, if it was written in uh, uh, the, the language of the day, it would have been a mean, a mean. It was a way to punctuate and say, I mean what I say. I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying something I'm uncertain about. You could bet on it. I, I put my stake, my life, my credibility in everything about me on this next statement. So he begins with almost an oath, verily, verily, or amen, amen, most assuredly, I say to you. And he's saying, I'm not stuttering, and I'm not sweating, I'm not perspiring. Pay attention. Before Abraham was, I am. Uh. So here's a fella that looked about 30 years old. Here's a fellow that may have been only about yay tall, talking to an entire crowd of, of folks that didn't like him, and, and the scribes and Pharisees were taking issue with him in the midst of a crowd of, a, a, a crowd of enemies. These, this is not what he said to his boys because, you know, they wouldn't take him to task. He said this in front of opposition, and he was saying that I am older than a man that lived 2,000 years prior, Abraham. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And then on top of the fact that he said he's older than Abraham, 
He called himself the sacred name. That name that was too sacred for Jews to, to even speak without first washing their hands. And then they wouldn't even utter the name unless they were reading it in the Torah itself or were engaged in prayer. In front of the crowd of opposition, he called himself the I am, which is the self-revelatory word that God used of himself in the burning bush. This statement was profound and remarkable. Talk about audacity. Jesus certainly had it. Verse 59. Then they took stones to throw at him. Why? Because they understood exactly what Jesus was saying. You see, under the law, Jesus or no human being could ever falsely say they were Jehovah and at the same time still be a good man or at least a prophet, unless it were true. To borrow from C.S. Lewis, you, you probably heard this quote, either stone him or embrace him, but don't patronize him, calling him some great human teacher like, you know, Plato, Socrates, Buddha, or what have you. He's not left that open to any of us, and he never intended to. Stay with me. They took up stones to throw him because they understood what he was saying. They thought it was blasphemous for a man to say he's God. But Jesus hid himself. He blended in with the crowd, which is just, just amazing, and walked away. And he went out of the temple unperceived, going through the midst of them, and so he passed by. The humility of God is absolutely amazing. God lowered himself to the point that he became so ordinary that he could blend into a crowd and no one know him out of the rest of them. Surely if I was God become a man, I'd be the tallest. I'd be the most buffest. I don't know if that's a word. Light would shine out of my face. Music would play as I walk. You know what I'm saying? I mean, manly colognes would wasp in the air as I passed you by. <laughs> but Jesus was so down to earth. He fit in. Mark eleven twelve. 12. He was hungry. The miracle of 2,000 years ago incarnation was not that Jesus became divine. That's not what happened. It was that deity became mortal. He was not God minus some part of his deity. I have a little illustration I want to show you on the screen. It's on the back there. Now, some people say the triunity of God, is it okay, a little Bible study? We'll get right back. Is a logical contradiction. Well, it's very difficult, by the way, to put something eternal into spatial terms. But I do want to show you an illustration that can help you understand. Matter of fact, how many of you notice St. Patrick's Day that on St. Patty's Day, it's all about the clover. 
Did you notice that St. Patty is a saint? He was a preacher. He was a man who loved God and, and preached the gospel. And the reason why the clover is the symbol for St. Patty's Day is because to the people, to the iris of that time, the clover was intellectual proof of the triunity of God. You had one flower with three distinct parts, or, or let's say, let's not say parts, three distinct persons, but it still was one. Likewise, we see in nature the triangle, one shape with three distinct points. Without one point, it's not the triangle. And God without the Son is not God. The Son without the Father is not God. The Father without the Holy Spirit is not God. God is eternal. The challenge is eternity is hard to understand in space. The only point I want to make today is that it's not a contradiction in thought. Even though I can't completely explain it, there's always going to be a level of mystery because who can understand being part of creation never being created? But in the imagery, we see the Father, one distinct personality. The Son, another distinct personality. The Spirit. But we say God is eternally love. Important. Part of the fall of man produce selfish love or just self-love. God is never selfish. If God was radically monotheistic in that he was only one being, the only type of love he could have ever had before creation was love of self. But for God to be eternal love, and we even see it in creation, God created us for community. It's not good for man to be alone. So he created the woman. We were creating God's image and likeness and immediately establishes a community. God, in eternity past, loved the son. Or if you don't like the word son, you could say God loved his word. And the Holy Spirit was that spirit of love between the word and the father. So we have the father, son, and Holy Spirit, all three comprising God. Not three gods, but three in one. And everything outside the Godhead was not God. Creation is not God. It was created by God. Are, are you still with me? Okay. So he was not God minus some part of his deity, but God plus all that it took to become a man. This is important. The son never ceased being God. All he did was add humanity to deity. Let's show this. All right. So God is still God. But something happened in only Jesus. Not with the father. Not with the spirit. He did not subtract. He did not become less God. But he added humanity. God so loved us that he became one of us. His love is absolutely amazing. The Bible says 
This is what's amazing. He's God. But he became a man. And he was hungry. God was not content loving us from a distance. So he chose to experience everything it means to be human in the most personal and even irreversible possible way. The Son of God became man to enable men to become sons and daughters of God. Hebrews 4 and 15 digs in. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. We don't worship a far away distant God, the opposite. God became one of us to save all of us. That's what God does. But was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. This was like God tying both his hands and his feet behind his back and saying to the devil, it'd be way too easy for me to just defeat you as God because I just blink, man, you're out of here. So what I'm going to do is I am going to subordinate myself and become a man and defeat you as a human. St. Augustine said it best. God judged it better to bring evil out of good than never let evil exist. I might not like it, but I trust his judgment. Verse 13 of Mark 11. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, Jesus was very, very aware of his identity. We see that in the scriptures. Yet he was so humble that opportunities didn't have to be miraculous for him to seize them. Now, God's wonders can blossom in the most unlikely places. He went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. Again, Emmanuel, God with us. But you still see him going through the natural processes like each of us. You see, Jesus couldn't help but be curious. Remember Moses, by the way, he was in the wilderness. He saw a tree on fire and it wouldn't stop burning. It was normal to see a tree on fire in the desert. It's hot. Stuff burns up. But this thing kept burning. He's like, you know, it's been 10 minutes, 15. That tree is still on fire. He had to go look at it. And this says something to Moses' mind and his, 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 his intellect. He paid attention to things. Likewise, Jesus was nobody's dummy. He, he, he noticed this thing, and, and he's like, well, you know what? This tree is full of leaves, but it's not the season for fruit. So he had to take a closer look, and he uses it as an illustration to his disciples. He said, when he came to it, he found nothing but the big old green leaves, for it was not the season for what? Figs. Now, no one would have expected fruit this time of year, except for the leaves indicating otherwise. It's important. Jesus was not so much upset with the lack of fruit. 
He was upset with the tree pretending to be something it was not. That's what I learned. I'm learning to be myself because everybody else is taken. So I'm not pretending to be you, him, her. No, no, no. I'm going to do me. (laughs) She said, you don't like it. Close your eyes. Okay. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you again. It's important. This is the only destructive miracle in Jesus's entire ministry. So we need to pay attention. If we want to learn what rubs Jesus the wrong way, we might want to pay attention to this particular narrative. So obviously here, the tree represents something larger than itself. And what we learn here is God has far more patience with the sinner that's a little bit rough around the edges than the well-polished hypocrite. He'd rather you, you know, just not have it and not pretend than to pretend and don't have it. Somebody said the only thing worse than a liar is a lying hypocrite. (laughs) But Jesus don't like that. You know, he didn't get mad at the woman caught in the act of adultery. He got mad, though, with the Pharisees and said, called them whitewashed sepulchers, called them snakes, called them names. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.